welcome to the Produce Retail Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Nickel, and I'm delighted to be joined today by Brian Newmainville. He is the principal of the Feedback Group, and his organization recently produced just a fascinating report on consumer perceptions and realities when it comes to grocery shopping. It covers many, many different topics, and I am looking forward to getting Brian's perspective on several of them here for you, our listeners today. Brian, thank you so much for taking the time and welcome to the podcast. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Ashley. Looking forward to an engaging conversation. Excellent. Well, Brian, as, as we were chatting a little bit, uh, but before we got started on, on video here today, you mentioned that, you know, so many of these different areas are influenced. The The responses by shoppers are different depending on the generations. And so I figured we'd start there. Some of the things that were interesting to me as I looked over the, the report you all produced were that it, it seems like these younger folks are, are harder to satisfy and less like, you know, likely to have that lower net promoter score and some of these things. What, what do you see going into this? Why are those younger folks so uh, so hard to please here? You know, that's a great observation. Yeah, we've seen that consistently in our research over the last, uh, you know, 10 years or so. And one of the, the real interesting findings there, I mean, we look at a number of things that we call core experience factors. So they're kind of the nuts and bolts of the shopping experience, right? Things like cleanliness, quality and freshness, friendliness and attitude of staff, um, staff availability, value for money, all those types of things. And so I did a little looking and, and what's interesting about that when you look at it by generation is you can kind of see where some of the holes are um, with the different generations. And you look at the younger generations, the, the lowest scoring area across all factors, across all generations is variety and selection with Gen Z. So 18 to 25 year old shoppers are saying it's, it's a 3.88 on a five point scale. So that's a really low number. Um, considering everything else is above four. And so I think variety and selection, are we carrying the right things the way that that age shopper is looking for them? And even millennials aren't that much higher at a 4.06. So I think variety and selection is an issue. Um, you look at things like checkout speed and efficiency. You know, I, I, I mean, maybe younger people are a little less patient than people with more time on their hands, but that was another low scoring area for both um, the uh, Gen Z and the millennials. Um, and then things like quality and freshness, there both Generation Z and Millennial also gave lower scores relative to the Gen Xs and the Boomers. So those are kind of three core areas. I think staff availability, we're all struggling with that as retailers right now. So I don't, you know, that was a low score except for maybe Boomers, but I think that that's kind of an ex, you know, an expected or, or taken into account for kind of a factor. Um, and value for the money is pretty consistent across generations right now, obviously, with the inflationary environment. So I think there's some interesting things we can point to there. Now, it's also things like, are we able to appeal to shoppers in the right way? Or, and we'll get in. I know we're going to get into that in a little bit about marketing and social media. And are we reaching shoppers where they are, right, in terms of of marketing to them and, and communicating with them? So I think that's another piece of it. Um, and I know, you know, even when you get down to the department level, right? You can look at where's the satisfaction and, and how, are, how are we doing there? Now, the good news for produce, since that's what this podcast is about, is that it's one of the higher scoring areas um, in terms of satisfaction by department. Um, it's a 4.29, which is the second highest only to be beaten by grocery center store at 4.35. 
Um, on the other hand, seafood and meat are kind of at the bottom of, of the barrel in terms of the score, 3.99 for seafood. Um, so when you look at that overall, those are those are findings, right? But then take that by generation. So one more point on the generation stuff there. So we look at produce. Now, produce, I just said, is good, right? Because it's, it's the second highest scoring area. However, with Gen Z shoppers, not so much. It's a 4.18. It's, it's the lowest scoring area, uh, a lowest generation score for produce is with those younger shoppers. Interesting. So I wonder, do, do you think this comes back to variety and selection again, or are there other expectations maybe that, that aren't being met there? Well, I think, I think certainly, you know, variety and selection is, is, is a, is an interesting thing um, because number one, it can be personal. So that makes it a little more challenging, right? But there's going to be some macro trends um, that you're going to discover when you look at that age group and what are they buying and, and, do re our retailers, you know, meeting that need where those shoppers are at, if that's who their target audience is. And I, you know, it's important to say, you know, look, uh, knowing your shopper base is going to be the first step of success in any of this, because uh, whether we're talking about social media, or we're talking about, uh, you know, the things that they scored low on, if that's not your shopper group, then it doesn't matter all that much, right? But that's why we do a lot of research with many, many retailers across the country, and we're doing studies down at the local market level, store by store to understand what's the makeup and composition of who's in your trade area. So that's how you can then kind of say, well, look, I've got um, a much more older shopper base here. So these are the things I need to focus on. Well, and that is the thing, right? Is we we have the macro trends and then it's it differs so much, not only organization by organization, but literally store by store and neighborhood by neighborhood, right? Exactly. I mean, and that's, I can't stress that enough. I mean, it's one thing to look at national numbers and to kind of get an idea where the, the hole is, mm -hmm. but then you also have to compare that to where you are, where your each of your stores are, because trade areas vary so much. Um, in, in all my years doing this and, and having done it for a large wholesaler in the past, um, you know, we we had to assess things store by store by store, and, and that's what you really have to do to, to dig into how do you succeed, right? Well, and Brian, I should have asked you this a little bit earlier, but I want to I want to uh, to step back real quick and let people in a little bit on your background. So you've you've been really zeroed in on consumer research for a number of years, of course, in in your current capacity. But I know you did that for a lot of years before as well as part of Nash Finch. Tell us a little bit about your your retail career there before this this latest chapter. Sure. Well, yeah. So about a, a little over ten years ago, um, I left Nash Finch, but while I was there. Um, I basically uh, ran the market research department, the public relations department, and the corporate foundation. Um, so I was involved in both kind of the marketing and the, and the cause marketing side of things, as well as the, the research side of things, and kind of really developed those departments uh, from, from a, a scratch, <laughs> mostly. Um, and so, you know, I was able to uh, get to know a lot of retailers. And that's re really where my passion for the independent retailer started because I got to know a lot of great independent retailers that were supplied by Nash Finch. Um, and then when I left and joined the feedback group, I was able to meet so many more retailers that were outside of the Nash Finch network. Um, and so that's really been a, a great part of my career is to, to be able to help provide insights and, and feedback and, and tools that let retailers understand their markets. Well, and I thought what a fantastic marriage that you were involved in the consumer research and the public relations, because that's the whole thing, right, is 
to effectively communicate, you really have to know to whom you're communicating. And I know that's something else that you guys have have kind of dug into in this study is what are all the different, you know, advertising and marketing vehicles that stores are using? How much are people engaging with those or not engaging with those? What, what were some findings that stood out to you in that area? You know, that's a that's a great, um, great lead into that. It, yes, um, it's digital and paper. Because, you know, we keep hearing about the death of the circular, the death of paper. You know, we're moving. I've been hearing about that for a long time. Um, but here's the thing. Um, nationally, it's still a mix when you look at, at things like um, using a store's paper circular at home. In our most recent study, 31% of shoppers are still doing that. Um, but the next highest thing at 29% is downloading digital coupons. So it's it's, it's kind of a tale of two cities, right? Um, but when you when you think about that at a macro level, that makes sense. You're going to have a lot of these things that are being used in different ways. But where you it gets interesting is when you start looking at, again, local markets, right? Because you might have a, a retailer that has a store in a market that has a very strong community newspaper, and it might be 50, 60 percent of looking at advertising and sales vehicles happen in that, in, you know, in the, the local paper. Um, in other cases, you may have, like in an urban setting, you may have very small use of paper because you have maybe more younger shoppers and you have more digital use. So it's really kind of an interesting mix still, but it's still paper and digital. If I went down the list, the next most used item is reviewing circular and promotions online or by email. But then following that, it's using the store's paper circular in the store. So, you know, it, it's still that blend um, and it depends on your market. It depends on your shoppers. Um, if I, if I, you know, and 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 of course the pandemic did affect some of that. It, it some things spiked back up for a while. Like for a while back when we did this in the fall of 2020, 51 percent were using the store's paper circular at home because they weren't in the store, right? So the in-store use went down. The away from store use went up. More digital coupons were downloaded because that people weren't in. They were using online shopping, so they were downloading digital coupons. So that did impact things. But I feel like we've kind of gotten back to a little bit more normalcy with at least some of the marketing and promotional numbers. Um, but if we, if we drill down again into that whole um, generational differences kind of thing. So if I look at Gen Z, um, the circular online and by email is the number one uh, advertising or sales vehicle that's being accessed, but it's, it's by like 1% difference to the use of it, uh, paper circular. Oh. So it's not overwhelming, but it, you know, it's slightly, um, probably not statistically significantly different. Um, but the bottom thing for the Gen Z shopper is clipping paper coupons, right? So that's the that's the youngest generation. We get to the millennials, using a paper circular in the store is actually the number one item. And the bottom item is unadvertised specials and sales in store, the use of those kinds of things. So yet again, it's different. Generation X, Downloading digital coupons, number one item, and clipping paper coupons, the bottom item. So, you know, that's interesting. And then the boomers using the paper circular at home, not surprising, right? That's kind of the traditional old-fashioned shopper, if you will, that's, that, that's what they grew up doing. Um, and reviewing promotions by social media is the bottom item. So, and not, not all not that right. surprising <laughs> either, right? But I mean, it's good to, to articulate those and see those differences by generation, again, all tying back to, you know, your shopper, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, and we'll talk about inflation a little bit more later, but I was curious, what 
what effect, if any, have you seen on on the use or the frequency of use or maybe using different uh, different ones of these vehicles with inflation? Are, are you seeing people go to those more as people are maybe a little bit more price sensitive or, or is that something that, that you can see from this? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I would say that, uh, you know, um, a lot of those inflation strategies, then we'll talk about those in a little bit, are things that, um, yes, I think that they're being used uh, more heavily now. And there's certainly some more than others that are that are prevalent. But I think all of them are being there's a number of strategies shoppers are using to deal with the situation. Well, and, and one more thing I'll ask you on the the advertising and sales vehicles because I know you guys have done this this study over a number of years now, of course, any of these channels that you have seen big movement in one direction or the other in the last, you know, three to five years or so? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I look back at the, some of these things are, they kind of, they they were, they're kind of back to where they were, like mm-hmm. pre-pandemic. I mean, I'd say most things are fairly, you know, social media is still pretty small at 6%. It's never been that large in terms of reviewing Ad, uh, promotions. Um, it, that's the easy, you know, fling up the, ad, but not, not many people are looking there for that type of thing. Mm-hmm. They might be looking at their winery for that type of thing, but they're not looking at their grocery store for that type of thing. Um, so there's that. I mean, a lot of these things, um, you know, it's fairly, you know, 31, 29, 27, 27, 22, 21. A lot of these are, you know, about two out of 10 shoppers are engaging in every one of these with the exception of once you get down to like, Clipping paper coupons, that's one I think that has been, you know, declining over the last, say, five years, right, for sure. Um, people are still doing it. But what's really going to drive a lot of the shifting in the, in the, in the use of these different vehicles is the, the growth of the younger shopper base and the decline of the older shopper base. Um, and I think is and, and that's a gradual process. So the, I don't expect these numbers. You know, the pandemic did certain things to these numbers, like I said a little bit ago, temporarily. But these are kind of, you know, slow, steady kind of declines or increases as opposed to exponential. Gotcha. And you you mentioned the the use of social media and how, you know, and not necessarily that that people aren't being influenced or that that's not a key part of the trip, but maybe just not in kind of this traditional sense where, like you said, it's just a posting of the ad like we have the ad in other places. What are some ways that you are seeing folks engage with with social media? I know um, y'all have a, a, a slide on this on this presentation that I think is a, a remarkable graphic that kind of shows the percentage of people engaging on these different channels in general, and then the percentage of folks who are connected and engaging with their grocer on these channels. That's somewhere we see quite a bit of uh, gaps for some of the different ones. Yeah, now and and that's something I've been studying social media since it it started. I'm kind of a you know tech nerd, so um, I, you know specifically looking at at what we found in the most recent study and kind of looking back a little bit. So Facebook is you know we hear about the death of Facebook all the time, right? People are leaving Facebook in droves. That well, not really. I mean, it it was 83 percent in 2020. People were on uh, you know using that channel, and and now it's 79 percent. So it's a small decrease, but not a you know not a not an overwhelming decline, but um, it's still the number one channel where supermarkets are connected with their, uh, or, or I should say food stores are connected with um, shoppers, 67%. So that's that's where we're kind of doing well in terms of connectivity. I mean, as if 67% as well, right? 
Um, now the next one is YouTube. The second, um, you know, YouTube is the second largest search channel um, in the world, and sixty-five percent of people are using it, but only twenty-three percent of food stores are connected with their prime, you know, with their primary shopper on it. So that's that's an issue because video is where it's at. Um, whether it's Instagram Reels, whether it's YouTube Shorts, YouTube itself, um, whether it's um, you know TikTok, and we'll get into a couple of those others in a minute. Um, video is a very important part of social media, and if you're not on video today, you're kind of missing the boat. Um, so I think that that's something where you know we got to pay more attention as an industry to to utilizing that to engage with people. It's not just about flinging up like we were saying, not flinging up the, an ad or a price an item kind of thing. Or a, it's it's more about engaging with shoppers in meaningful ways. Um, the third most used channel is Instagram. That one actually has declined a little bit since our last study, but it's at 41% right now, also owned by Facebook, for those people that don't know that. Um, but that's also 28% um, connectivity. So again, relatively small. Um, and then there's TikTok. That one was 14% in 2020 in terms of people using the channel. Now it's at 33%. Wow. So that's a doubling over double slightly, um, yet only 18% of uh, food stores are connected with their prime, with the primary shoppers are connected with their food stores on it. So that's a, you know, but then again, not everybody's using TikTok. And I'll get into that in a second because it's generationally driven. Again, you know, we go back to that theme. Um, and then there's other channels like Pinterest where about a quarter of people, 25% are using it today. That's down a little bit from 32% last time. Twitter, I, I I don't even know if this number is right now because this is a few months ago. So with the way Twitter's changed in the last couple of weeks, <laughs> it might be different. But it was 25% declined from 33% a couple of years ago. And Snapchat's holding about even at 24%. It was 25% last time. And then you've got things like Reddit and LinkedIn and Vimeo that are, you know, that are there for different purposes. So mm -hmm. they're not necessarily showing the same. But if I look at generations now, this is where it gets interesting. Um, so again, I said Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram nationally overall. Generation Z, though, if we if we look at that, or uh, you know, it's YouTube is number one. So YouTube is seventy four percent with that generation. You are using YouTube. Wow. Number two is Instagram at sixty two percent, and number three is TikTok at fifty eight percent. Facebook is number four at fifty four percent. So. If your primary or a large percentage of your shoppers are younger, 18 to 25 year olds, and you're not doing one or all, all one or all of those things, you're, they're not even listening to you. They're not even hearing you yeah. from a you know social standpoint. Um, now, when you go to millennials, millennials, Gen Xers, and Boomers, Facebook is still number one, 82 percent, 83 percent, and then with um, YouTube, it's number two, 68, 71, 55 percent. So those two channels are still real strong for the majority of, you know, anybody who's a, a 26 or older at this point. But where it gets different is the number three, Instagram is millennials and Gen Xers, but the number three for boomers is actually Pinterest. Oh. So again, it, so when you hear all that, it's, it's like, okay, well, I've got to be at least on Facebook and YouTube. And if I've got younger shoppers, I've got to be on Instagram and TikTok. And if I've got a lot of boomers, I might want to be thinking about Pinterest. <laughs> right? Not overwhelming at all. <laughs> <laughs> so 
I, I mean, the, the key is, again, it, it, like I said, it all comes back to evaluating your shopper base, knowing who's in it, and then reaching out to them in a vehicle, uh, social being one of many you know marketing tools you have, but that you need to think about what where are you going to meet them um, and and engage with them. Um, and I think that, you know, like I said, video is is king and these and YouTube being on all these illustrates that. Well, and I think to your point too, talking about, you know, video and and how, you know, the expectation of consumers now is not just give us the, the same information we can get in the ad, but just in a different format. It's how do you use these channels to really be a resource and maybe a way that you didn't even have the opportunity to be before to these different audiences. And then, of course, it comes down to, ooh, prioritizing the time and investment for content creation and posting and all those sorts of strategies that really, given they're reaching different generations, should be different for every channel. It, it gets big pretty quick. <laughs> right. I mean, and that's, you know, I think one of the things that that you have to, everybody has to be cognizant of is... You don't want to, uh, I mean, th there's, a, there's a cost to this, both in terms of people costs, in terms of, you know, content production costs, um, in terms of equipment costs. I mean, it isn't simple in that sense, right? And if you, yeah, and what you can't do, um, and I've, <laughs> I've said this in many big audiences before, is you can't have the intern do it. Because are you going to trust your brand and everything that goes with it to someone who's going to be there for three months, six months, maybe it, maybe you'll hire them and maybe they'll stick it out. Maybe they won't. So you can't just, you know, take that risk. Um, it, it, it's part of your marketing strategy and it has to be part of that planning and budgeted for and accounted for and accountable to production, right? Content calendars. There's a whole lot more that goes into it right, than just, you know, flinging up your ad on Facebook and saying, yep, we're doing social media. <laughs> well, that's the thing, right? Is I think so often, you know, we we hear kind of communication and, and public relations and some of these things. And and they sound sometimes to to folks who aren't, you know, in that core business, like a little soft and fluffy and, you know, just just sort of like, oh, sure, you know, go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go do that. And it's like the strategy and the investment and all the things that go behind that. It is, can be super powerful if you align it with everything else about your business, but that does take strategy. That does take time. That does take dedicated people and dedicated resources, and it gets fragmented real quick. So, it, you know, it having the the big picture in mind and kind of tailoring that approach to each different channel, and as you said, being real cognizant of, you know, who your shopper is and how that differs by region, by neighborhood all these different areas, it, it gets into a big complex project pretty quickly, I think. Well, yeah, I mean, and you have to, yeah, you really have to delve into and understand, like, you know, it starts with who's your shopper, and then it ends with, you know, what are they looking for? And how do you meet that need, right? So it's one thing to know that I've got younger shoppers, or I've got boomers, or I've got, you know, majority, it's going to always be a mix, it's not going to be one or the other. But once you know that, then like, okay, what channels can we afford to be on? that match up with who, where we need to be. And then how can we use that to engage with our shoppers and to get them, you know, whether it's having the dietitian or nutritionist on featuring employees, doing contests, community events being featured. Um, I mean, it's, it's a whole host of things that you can incorporate into your marketing mix um, on social media, um, but it's become really today 
what traditional PR was in the past. I mean, it, it, you, you have the ability to control and to communicate your messaging a lot more effectively yourself without gatekeepers um, then in, in the past, you had to go to your PR person, your, your PR person had to reach out to a, you know, to the, to the media and the media might or might not cover it. And, um, but now when you have a community event, you can put it out on your, on your social channels. You, you can't just rely on that, but it's a way to get the word out and to, you know, along with your email marketing and other strategies you have to, to really maximize your own PR. Well, and as we were talking earlier about the gap between you know the the percentage of people on a certain platform and the percentage of people on that platform actually connecting with their grocer, I'm curious what you've seen because I know you you work with a lot of different retailers. Uh, the folks who maybe that gap is smaller for them with their shoppers than it is for competitors. What kinds of content or or what what sorts of strategic things do you see like some of the folks who who really have best practices down in this area? Well, what are some of the things that help close that gap? Well, I think it's I mean, I think a obviously um, you have to build the presence that you have on each of the social channels and you have to get, you know, you have to, to communicate it in other ways to get people to find you on social. So you've got to be sure to have that on all your materials. You're still going to have to have that illustrated at places physically, right? Mm -hmm. To get people to sign up onto your channels and so on. But as you do that, and as you build the channel, and and of course your email marketing can be a big piece of getting people to sign up. Mm -hmm. Um, But as you're doing all that and you get people engaged on the channels, then it becomes a content thing, right? So it's all of the the things I was mentioning before, like, you know, featuring employees, you know, having your community events highlighted, doing videos of those things. Don't just show up. I mean, Showing a picture of an employee is great, but having a video of them saying why they like to work at your store, that's that much better, right? And so to the extent that you can do those kinds of things where you're, you're and, and you're creating engagement, have a contest, have people, you know, um, like one of the things we're doing at the feedback group now, and we're promoting this on LinkedIn, is we're, it's called SAC, and it's about acts of kindness that are being done in stores, and we're featuring different retailers um, from the comments that we get um, from our feedback systems that we have in those stores, as well as anybody can submit one to us uh, via LinkedIn. Um, we have a form they can fill out and, and it can be a shopper talking about an act of kindness that they experience from a store employee. It can be, uh, you know, um, an, a, a one employee seeing a, an employee at a different store do something. It could be anything. But the point is, we're communicating that on social media on LinkedIn, where the businesses are and are most likely to see it, the retailers. And, you know, we're also then there once a month, we're going to pick a winner um, and send the store actually a sign that they can display in the store. So that's another way to like, as an example of how we're even doing this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it, and then that's the thing, right, is it becomes a powerful tool for building community as well. When, like you said, you've really done the work to understand who it is, what it is they're looking for, how you can be a resource, and then bringing them into that loop and you start getting the user-generated content in there as well. And you you have this really nice, well, you guys are the feedback group. You have this real nice feedback loop that's happening with your shoppers then as well. <laughs> right, right. I mean, this whole supermarket act of kindness is just a way for us to help shine a light on the good things that are happening in the industry. But I, all the steps I just mentioned, like you said, for, for someone to do if they're thinking about their shopper base, 
we're doing the same thing and applying that across our, you know, our customer base, if you will. So, but yeah, it's so important. And you're right. I mean, you mentioned an important thing, user generated content. That's a whole nother piece of it. Once you've got kind of the mechanics going, then you hope. And, and, and the other thing I would say is not only user generated content, but also engaging with the content that they create. So it's not just enough to, you know, oh, great, look, so-and-so has produced a nice video about our store or, you know, uh, or did a video thanking us or whatever. But you need to then comment, engage, thank them, you know, uh, invite them in for a, a tour, you know, whatever might seem appropriate, right? But it's engagement. It's called social media for every social being the key <laughs> word there. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and those are the kind of things, too, that you know, you, you create those opportunities for differentiation. Cause we, we talked at the very beginning, we talked about net promoter score, especially among some of these younger shoppers. And those are the kind of things that contribute to that, right? Because you have the, you have the notable in-store things that somebody might, you know, take a picture of a great display or a great deal, or, you know, some creative merchandising and send it in the family group text or whatever. Um, but you have like a conversation with somebody online or your picture gets reposted and, you know, the, the store gives you a shout out. Those are the kind of the things that, that, you know, um, contribute to that, that community atmosphere, that net promoter score, all those kind of things sort of feed each other. Right. And younger shoppers in particular, you know, like Gen Zers, I mean, they're looking for things like authenticity, transparency, um, you know, so the more you can weave in the kinds of things that appeal to them. And, and they're on video, right? And so like you tie all that together and you know, you've got a formula that, can, that you can develop that can work to reach out to them where they're at. Everybody talks about younger generations only texting. Well, okay, if that's what they're doing, then let's do text marketing, right? I mean, you know, I mean it's like, why fight the current? Let's find a way to, to, to ride the wave. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> and I'm glad that you mentioned too the, the authenticity and transparency because I do think that, you know, maybe, maybe makes all this just slightly less daunting as folks think about, you know, all the content for all the different channels. Um, Cause correct me if I'm wrong, Brian, but my impression here is there's a lot you can do on, on a smartphone. There's a lot that you can, you know, find employees in your organization who are kind of, kind of have a knack for this, right. For, for talking to their, their colleagues or finding interesting things in the store to take videos of you can you can do this probably less formally and with less expensive equipment and some of those things than you could even five years ago probably. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I used I mean I used to say you know you can kind of do grassroots stuff with your phone and it's okay if it looks grassrootsy. Well, now your phone's going to look like you produced it on a professional you know high def camera because that's <laughs> what it is. I mean, you've got a studio in your pocket. So at the end of the day, um, yeah, anybody can really use the tools that they have to produce content. You don't need a super high. In fact, I recommend against overproducing stuff because um, today that's not what people expect. I mean, it, it looks phony, especially to younger generations, authenticity, transparency. Again, it looks phony if you're overproducing stuff. So it's more about in the moment, you know, that's why be real, which is an emerging social platform is kind of becoming more popular because it's, you know, they send you a message a couple times a day where it's like post right now what you're doing. You know, and so like it's all about in the moment. It's it's transparent, authentic, you know. So, yeah, I don't think you need to 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 worry about like buying all the most expensive equipment to do this. There's going to be times where you're going to want to produce, you know, a polished video about your organization and put that on YouTube. But there's also going to be a lot of times where you're going to want to take a 30 second clip 
of an employee saying how much they like working here and, and, you know, they love their associates and whatever, or the, I, a, a shopper who won a contest and wants to tell their friends, whatever, whatever your tape, you know, and you just put that right on, on, you know, Instagram reels and on TikTok or on whatever. So um, yeah, I think you can absolutely do it with what you have and employees by and large now have smartphones that are capable of doing that. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, and, and just one more kind of dovetail in that direction, right. Is the more you can get your, your employees involved in that, who have an interest in that area. Well, my goodness, fabulous for retention and for engagement and all those sorts of things as well in a little bit different area. Right. I mean, absolutely. I mean, I know a lot of organizations will be like, well, wait a minute, you know, legal has to be involved in this, or we have to make sure there's standards and we can't, you know, um, and yes, that's true. Um, but at the same time, you have to you have to put a process in place. Like, and and if, if you're not comfortable just letting people do stuff, which many people aren't, um, you can put a process in place for people to submit stuff and have it be reviewed by you know a peer group of people in the organization that have you know various levels. Like when we had at at Nash Finch when I ran the NFC Foundation, you know we would we would do different things and we would have submissions come in for funding and we'd take into account what employees wanted to do if they had a relationship with a nonprofit. And so it's, it's in a different way, a similar kind of thing. If you, if you can have a submission process for share, you know, share things that you see that you think would be, you know, worthy of us putting on social media um, and then being able to look at those and somebody approves them and whether it's a group or, or, you know, whatever departments have to be involved. Hey, you're going to get people engaged. You can have contests. You could do all sorts of fun things to get employees in, in, involved in that process. So. Well, Brian, we could probably go on marketing forever because it's just kind of a fun sky's the limit sort of topic, right? Right on. <laughs> but um, we'll we'll end on, I don't want to say a, a more difficult topic, but obviously inflation is the elephant in the room these days, of course. And that was another thing that you all covered in this report is how shoppers are responding to inflation. Different um, different actions that they're taking in response and percentages for, for each one of those and something that stood out to me, I think you all had a, a graphic on there that said there's only 9% of shoppers who said they're not doing any of these things in response to inflation. So on the flip side, that's 91% that are responding in some way to inflation, which is pretty staggering. Yeah, no, I mean, and 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 starting the thought process out on this, uh, we also had a slide in there about perceived net profit, Right. So retailers, um, we ask shoppers, from the money shoppers spend at your primary supermarket, how much do you think is left for profit once the stores paid all its expenses and taxes? And, the, the you know, consumers have a highly inflated perception of grocers' profitability. Let's just put it that way. 33% was what shoppers thought their supermarkets taken home. Ooh. That's the perceived net profit. Just and obviously, we off. all know that's 1% to 3%, right? But that creates one issue where shoppers may think that the store they shop at is taking advantage of them, right? Like, they go, come on, this inflation thing is real, but like you're getting some of that. Um, and so I think that that's something important as a kind of backdrop to this. Like there's this not clear perception as an industry of what real profitability is for food stores. Mm -hmm. um, but then when you get beyond that, yes, there's a whole host of measures that shoppers are, are doing, you know, some of them make logical sense, like 
nearly half the shoppers said that they're purchasing more food and groceries at stores with lower prices. Well, that's going to cause channel shifting, channel blurring, right? People are going to go other places. Um, and that's going to cause potentially loss of shoppers, loss of dollars for sure, but maybe loss of shoppers altogether. If I go to Aldi all of a sudden and I like it better than my traditional supermarket, maybe I keep going to Aldi. Um, so that causes a bunch of issues that way. Another one was eating more at home instead of at restaurants. Um, 46% said that as well. Um, buying more items on sale, that makes sense. About four out of 10 shoppers are doing that. And about four out of 10 are buying more store brands instead of national brands. Um, and there's a host of other things that, you know, at least a quarter are doing things like purchasing more bulk items or buying fewer um, last minute or impulse items. Um, substituting similar, less expensive items, um, buying things that are less healthy, but cheaper. Ooh. So there's a whole bunch of things like that that are happening. And even only 12% said buying fewer organic items and products to, to uh, cut costs. However, we know that far fewer people buy organic items. So 12% may not be a good number <laughs> or a good percentage to, you know, to hear that that's happening, right? Um, and, and you're right, 9% said they're not doing any of these things, but 91% are. Um, so if we drill down a little bit, uh, take store brands, right? So we all know, and, and we've all heard for decades in my case, that store brands um, have you know better prices and equivalent quality, right? So we asked the question, on this visit, the prices of private label store brands were a lot less expensive than name brand alternatives. And on a five-point scale, it was a 4.44. So shoppers are saying, yep, um, I agree. 75% agreed wow. that they could get you know, a lot less expensive items using store brands or private label. But if that wasn't bad enough, at least for national brands, um, when you look at the quality question, I believe that the quality of private label and store brands I saw compared well to the name brand alternatives, 80% agreed, and it was a 4.76. So as a strategy for retailers, for supermarkets to use, it's a really good strategy mm -hmm. um, to be able to you know do more with, and I know many are, to do more with store brands in terms of, you know, because you're getting a better price and equivalent or better quality. So I think that's one strategy retailers definitely should be leveraging that they have some control over. Um, another uh, question we had asked was, what's the one item on which you'd like your uh, like supermarkets to lower the price if they could? Now, almost half, 42% said meat. Well, given all the pricing things we've seen and supply issues we've seen with meat, that makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. But dairy was number two at 15%. And even produce at 8% was number three. So, you know, those are the kinds of things they're very shoppers are sensitive to the higher prices on not only meat, but also dairy and produce. Mm -hmm. um, and then just to take it down and, and bring it back to our generational differences. So um, if we look at what Generation Z is saying, and what millennials are saying, and Gen Xers are saying, the number one answer for all three of those is purchasing more at stores with lower prices. Again, back to the whole channel shifting, shoppers going other places. We don't like that. Um, now, what's interesting is the boomers, they're buying more items on sale was their number one answer. Um, and why? Well, why is that versus this for the other three? Well, boomers tend to also rate their stores the highest, right, on a lot of the factors, and they're more loyal. So they'd rather buy things that are on sale and there may be mobility issues and other things at that sure. age level, but they're more loyal as a whole. And therefore they're going to, they're, you're going to tend to have better luck with getting to buy sales items and stay with you <laughs> as opposed to going other places, but everybody else willing to kind of go check it out and find other stuff. And 
I mean, there's even fifth. Was it fifteen? Uh, no, eighteen percent of shoppers compare prices at multiple stores on items before before buying an item. So that means two out of ten shoppers are going. I'm going to go look over there and look over there, and, and if I have to, I'll go back to the first place and buy it. Yeah. So there's a lot of you know that, uh, and I don't see this. I mean, as long as we have this inflationary slash recession type environment, um, this is going to continue for a while in the next year. So, I mean, these are the strategies that shoppers are using and we, you know, as an industry kind of have to be aware of them. And some of them, like I said, are kind of no brainers, but other ones are things we can do something about like store brands. Yeah. Well, and to your point too, the, uh, the channel shifting that's happening as a result of inflation, then it's the question of, well, are they having a good experience when they shift to this other channel? Cause if they are, how do we get them back? Or well, and it may not just be an experience. That, right? <laughs> it may not even be just an experience, right? It may be because if price is front and center now, I may I may go to Aldi because the price is, you know, I'm driven, I have to be driven by price. I mean, that's, I need the savings to make ends meet. Mm-hmm. Um, and the experience is kind of secondary to me. Um, so you may not get me back because I can't afford to come back, right? Now there's other shoppers who, you know, that's less of an issue or quality may be paramount to them. Again, that's also knowing like, you know, I know there's there's some research that's been done that where, um, you know, you're asked to pick like what's more, most important to you. Is it price? Is it quality? Is it service? And I, I think price is coming out on top in a lot of those studies now. So if that's the case um, and the channel shifting is taking place, then it's going to be difficult to get people back from price channels. I mean, if I look at our at our overall satisfaction by channel, which was in this report too, um, the the highest ranking thing was club stores, right? That they had the high a four point five three and a five point scale in terms of overall satisfaction. Now, who had the lowest score? Mass retailers. They had a four point two zero, but you know what? When it comes down to it, price is if it has to be will be king with a number of you know whatever percentage shoppers, and they're going to go there even though the experience is subpar. Well, and to your point too, whether it's mass retail or club or or discounters, some of these places, like you said, especially if folks hadn't engaged over there before, if they go for the price and then they find, oh, well, the club store does have that larger pack of berries or that larger <laughs> pack of the cherry on the vine tomatoes that I like so much. Well, maybe that's not terrible to stay over there because they've got some pack sizes and some different things that, you know, my normal supermarket with its pricing model probably couldn't carry because the sticker shock would be, you know, out of control. So, so there's that too, where you wonder, you know, what habits that are formed, just like the pandemic, what habits that are formed during this year or however long it ends up being, which of those stick around and which of those do people kind of come back from when, when they have more of a choice again? Right. I mean, and, and it all, you know, right now, I think what, you know, price is one component of value, right? So at the end of the day, what people are trying to decide right now is value for money spent more so than price purely. Yes. But if I go to a place that has lower prices, but maybe smaller size produce, um, but but I perceive that as a value for my money and the service is okay, maybe I'm all right with that. Mm-hmm. And so that's where it's going to be, you know, um, when people, it, it's kind of like when a when a store shuts down for a remodeling, which doesn't happen very much anymore. But what, when stores used to shut down for remodeling and the traffic disperses, it's very hard to get them back. 
Yeah. Right. And so the same kind of thing applies here. When you have a disruptive type event like this inflationary environment or like COVID was, um, how do you bring people back um, from whatever they've experienced in the interim, whether it's online shopping and e-commerce, whether it's, you know, a, a different retailer, whether it's a, in this case, a price or value oriented retailer, or a discounter or a dollar store with all the growth of grocery and dollar formats now. Yeah, there's there's a lot there. Well, and to bring it back to to bring it back to the more fun topic of marketing, right? Communication here now more than ever to be, you know, for for those retailers to be able to communicate their value, um, even though it may not look the same as it did before with the big high low promotions and things like that. You better be on that messaging now more than ever, because like you said, the value equation is more than price. But folks are looking more at price than maybe they have in past years. And so communicating about that in as many places as possible, very strategically, um, probably never better time than now to uh, to really get on that. <laughs> well, and even in, and even with the supply chain challenges, um, there's one retailer that I went and visited and they had a, a really good idea. They put this sign right in their produce department and the sign basically said, you know, supply chain update. They, they updated every week. And it kind of says, here's items we're having challenges getting, and here's what's, you know. And so all of a sudden, as a shopper, you're looking at this going, hey, they're paying attention. They know I'm upset about the fact I can't get whatever, but they're telling me why. So, okay, I can give them a little pass for that, mm -hmm. right? But if you if you aren't communicating anything, then I'm just going to think, you know, boy, you guys can't buy anything. You can't get anything. Do you know what you're doing? I mean, you know, yeah. right? So there, there's also things like that from a communication perspective that, um, whether it's, you know, pricing, special prices, things where, you know, you got to show the, the the shopper that you're on their side in this kind of an environment, especially with these perceptions we talked about of 33% profit margins. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and to your point, pulling back the curtain where you can, because, you know, just recognizing nobody knows about the grocery business who's not in the grocery business, right? And just remembering all the things that folks who are in it know that your average person has no idea. So figuring out, you know, what are those little nuggets of information that you can share and just give a little glimpse into, oh, well, you know, their staff is, you know, 70% of what it was a year ago. That's why I'm having a hard time finding someone to answer my question. Or I don't know if anybody wants to go that granular, but just, just <laughs> yeah. things that people don't know are going on, you know? Right. I mean, you're at labor, obviously being a huge challenge, right? I mean, so yeah. how do you how do you effectively kind of try to mitigate that? People hate self-checkout, but at the same time, what are you going to do? Do you not want to check out? I mean, yeah. it's like, you yeah. know, so Is it's the a, giant it's a line better. Oh, I don't think so. You know, <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, again, Brian, we could talk about all these things till the cows come home. I know you've got other things to do. I'll get you out of here in a semi-timely manner. Thank you so much for taking the time to, to chat with me and share your expertise. This has been really fun. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, Brian, we'll say thank you one more time. We'll thank our listeners as well. And we will see everybody back next week on the Produce Retail Podcast. <laughs>